Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode, and joining me live from their own underground bunkers are Lily. Why, hello. And Sean. Good evening. Alright guys, well this week we watched a sitcom with mind-warping joke density. The Tina Fey and Robert Carlock Netflix original series... Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Really a fantastic show, and thanks for turning me on to it, Scott. It's hard to keep track of these Netflix shows, I think, so it's nice to, to actually get someone who's watched it before I have, and really, uh, it's very, very good show. Yeah, I have the same opinion on it. It's so odd. At first, it was a little cringeworthy to me just because of the situation, and it's like, ah, should they really be making a joke about that? But I, it's... It's almost empowering to take such a horrible situation and turn it into something light and hilarious like this. It passed my wife test, which is always a hard one to pass. <laughs> if she likes a show uh, that I like, it's it's a winner usually. Wow. And she's a big fan of um, the show now and also of 30 Rock, which is, of course, Tina Fey was uh, very involved in. And I, we should say, too, that I actually heard about the show, I think, around the same time that you told me about Scott from The Best Show. Yes. When he did an interview with the um, very talented young lady who is the star of the show, which we'll be talking about. Well, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is the story of a young woman rescued from 15 years of captivity and who, despite her childlike intellect, decides to pursue a new life in New York City. And as Lily was talking about before, this the background of the show is really... It really borrows from a couple of horrific real-life incidents, including a polygamous cult, and there was a, a horrible story in Ohio of girls kept captive, and it's really not something that, you know, you could ever really think someone could base a comedy on, but uh, if there's anybody that can do it, it's certainly Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. So in that uh, spirit, I did a little bit of research and uh, found some quirky cults in existence, one of them is Nuwabianism, which is led by a dude who claims to be an extraterrestrial master teacher from the planet Rizk. Uh, on my list here is also Realism, and people in this cult believe Earth was created by aliens called the Elohim, I believe it's pronounced, who will at some point return to save the entirety of the human race. This is the same group that also claims to have cloned a human being. Another one is the Breatharians, which believe that humans can run on oxygen alone, meaning food or liquid consumption is absolutely not necessary. <laughs> and lastly, the Sons of Freedom, which were a Canadian cult back in the 1900s, who were basically a group of anarchists that would walk around town naked burning money. Wow. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. It's, Shout out to our know, Canadian think, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> That's for true. Uh, I, I think it's good to mention, too, that even though this is a comedy, the show, and our show, and The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, it, there is some serious aspects, like Scott mentioned, about this. We're not taking it lightly that these things aren't serious, these, these incidents that have happened in the the past yeah. they are of course very serious and people's lives have been extremely affected i, I look at it as more of a 
a satire of the media coverage as given to these events more than anything yeah. else. Right. Um, that's the way I like to see this. Not so much about, and of course, as the first season goes on, I'm about halfway through it right now myself. So I like to look at it as it's talking about all the weird media coverage that comes out of this and the sensationalism of how they really don't respect people's privacy. Yeah. That's a big theme, I think, in, in the series. Yes. Yeah. Is Kimmy wanting to be not known as what she is, but have her own life back? Exactly. It's it's so bizarre in human nature for people to just want to know every single little detail. It's like you hear about all the time, oh, Miley Cyrus went to this party and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's <laughs> so enthralled by this one choice some um, you know, young woman made. But does it really matter? No, not particularly. <laughs> so I think that what you're saying, Lily, too, is that the sensationalism of the media and the hype that this thing is given and kind of being made fun of is kind of like a cult itself. But certainly they, they, they do play with the elements of that in the media throughout the show, especially oh, yeah. the mole women moniker. We see yes. uh, that sensationalism in the media, definitely a, a big part of the show as well. well. This episode was directed by Tristram Shapiro, a director from the UK who, in addition to directing many British series, has also directed some episodes of today's best TV comedies like Parks and Recreation and Community and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So really a guy with some experience in this genre. And I think Sean and I were talking earlier, this really does have a 30 Rock feel. Definitely. Um, that's one of the first things my wife noticed too, was the music. Just the not only the intro, but the internal, what would you call those? Uh, Do-do-do-do-do. Like transition music? Transition music, thank you, Scott. It's very 30 Rock-ish. You could tell there's definitely 30 Rock influence in that. And I believe it's also done by Jeff Richmond, Tina Fey's husband and the guy that did the music for 30 Rock. So, yeah, guys, before we jump into this, I just want to mention, too, that I'm taking a different twist on looking at this episode. I actually found an early copy of the script that was written by Tina Fey, and it's dated on, let's see, October 22nd, 2013 hmm. and Robert Carlock also and, and Tina Fey it's it's very similar as far as I can see to the actual episode the original name of this show was called Tooken <laughs> apparent before it was renamed Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt apparently I almost prefer Tooken Tooken yeah so that's it, it, very interesting that's funny. okay so let's hit play on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt now we start here with Christmas in the Bunker Kimmy's asking who her secret Santa is, and Gretchen, currently turning the mystery crank, tells her, We can't not tell, Sister Kimmy, then twouldn't be a secret, duh. <laughs> the four ladies here, Kimmy, Gretchen, Cindy, and Donna, they surround their Christmas tree and sing, Apocalypse, Apocalypse, we caused it with our dumbness, to the tune of Oh Christmas Tree. So all of a sudden, the lights flicker, and a loud banging is coming from the metal doors, Kimmy holds everyone back, thinking that it might be fire monsters. <laughs> but instead, it's a SWAT team, finally locating the girls who had been missing. The hatch opens, and an officer reaches down and helps Kimmy up to the surface. And Kimmy's face is beaming as she realizes that everything at the surface is still there. So, when they get out, you notice that this vault is in the middle of a field. 
Now, yes. behind it is, is is forest, but it still kind of seems like it's in plain sight. So, why they were looking for it for 15... Maybe I'll assume it's in a clearing in the middle of the woods, but still, it was a little odd to me. In Indiana, where the show takes... Or this part of the show takes place, you know, people can have hundreds of acres of land. So, who knows where this is on a piece of property. And if Dernsville is anything like Pawnee... You can see maybe why this took so long. Yeah, it wouldn't be unusual, really. <laughs> One quick uh, script note from the original script. The song they were singing around the tree. The original script here says that the words were apocalypse, apocalypse, we made our Jesus angry. Huh. Ooh. Yes, I made a little wording change there. We then cut to news footage from various Indiana news stations. We learn that these ladies had been missing from Dernsville, Indiana, and held captive in a subterranean bunker for 15 years by a self-proclaimed messiah, the Reverend Richard Wayne Gary Wayne, also known as Dernsville's worst wedding DJ. <laughs> Interesting to have the multiple names, which is something you see with, you know, serial killers a lot of times. You have the, you know, weird names, you know, they seem to emphasize their, their middle and their last names. The reporter for Channel 4 then speaks to Walter Bankston. He's a man living in a trailer near the site of the rescue, and he's here played by comedian Mike Britt. And his eyewitness account starts to become musical. And we get a very clever auto-tune the news treatment. And these are the same guys that did auto-tune the news on YouTube. These are the, the Gregory brothers, who famously did the Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife song. Yes, by, uh, I believe the man in that song was Antoine Dodson. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so very, very clever. And we'll, not to give anything away, but Antoine Dodson and Walter Bankston will see uh, that they, they take similar paths in their lives. So this segment, it, it actually serves a unique purpose. It, it's, it's funny, and it starts to give us some story in a, in a quick way, and it also provides the theme song for the show, which I thought was very clever. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I didn't see that coming. So we see that this Mole Woman remix that we were just listening to has gone viral, and we transition to Matt Lauer on the set of the Today Show, where he interviews the four rescued ladies, now referred to the media as the Indiana Mole Woman. Which is just a terrible name. <laughs> Completely not flattering. It, God forbid you go through an experience like this in your life, but now you're known as a mole woman for the rest of your life. And Kimmy really seems the only one that, that cares or is affected by this at this point. The other mole women seem not to really care that they have this title. It's something that Kimmy wants to get away from throughout the series, definitely. And just another point, I'm not sure if it's mentioned here, I, I don't recall, um, or somewhere else in this episode, but I know it is mentioned that the Reverend's full name is actually Reverend Richard Wayne Gary Wayne, Senior Prophet and CEO of Savior Rick's Spooky Church of the Scary Apocalypse. <laughs> Sounds like a haunted house somewhere. <laughs> Some... so that's, his, that's his full title that's mentioned. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure in the episode where it's mentioned, but that's you know his full yeah. title. Some haunted hayride or something. He is an entrepreneur. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we learned from this Today Show interview that Kimmy was kidnapped in the 8th grade, and along with Cindy, Gretchen, and Donna, were told by the Reverend that the world had suffered a nuclear apocalypse scorching the earth and that there were lakes of fire everywhere. Cindy Picorni, here played by Sarah Chase, who is a TV and film actress with some Broadway experience as well, she explains that she had waited on the Reverend at York Steakhouse, and after inviting her out to his car to see his baby rabbits, she too was abducted. 
Didn't her mother ever teach her about, you know, stranger danger or... Apparently not. <laughs> how... Or she didn't wasn't paying attention during that lecture. And how old was she waiting tables? She That's seems, true. She seems about Kimmy's age. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Kimmy's 29 in this pilot episode, so go back 15 years. Was 14. That? About four, 14 years old. So... Yeah, 8th grade. In the script, it's called, actually, a Cracker Barrel. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't, yeah. can't do that. <laughs> and then I believe the their interviewer says something about, oh, it's a wonder what women will do to avoid being rude, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Which is kind of ingenious satire. The whole show, to me, has a very feminist tone through satire. So I, I think that that is actually probably my favorite aspect of the show. Oh, totally. A, a very strong female cast. Next, Gretchen Chalker, played by Lauren Adams, who is an actress and improviser from the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. She's still in her traditional dress, and she explains to Matt that she joined the cult willingly. In fact, she was the only one to do so. And the Reverend had bought some of her hair on Craigslist, and after exchanging emails, she thought that he had some really good ideas. Ew. <laughs> There's nothing right about that, so I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> Uh, and Donna Marie Nunez, played here by actress Sol Miranda, was working for a company called Happy Maids, and she was lured into the Reverend's home thinking it was a job, and then she too was held captive. And speaking only in Spanish, she tells Matt Lauer that she never bothered to speak English because they never learned any Spanish. <laughs> it must have been a very interesting 15 years. I can't even the, imagine it. <laughs> as we go through the episodes, the cutaways to the the time in the bunker are just hilarious. Some, the interactions between these these ladies. So we'll see more of that as the series goes yeah. on. Very funny. We learned that thousands of dollars have been donated to them via a mole woman fund, and Matt then asks them what's next for them in their lives. Cindy says that she'll probably just go back to Dernsville and get her braces taken off finally. Donna in Spanish says that she'll go back to Indiana for Happy Maids. Gretchen seems to be under the impression that she's now one of Matt Lauer's wives. <laughs> oh, which no. is a very funny line. Yes. I am yours now, Matt's yes? like, oh no, oh, no, Gretchen. No, no, no. <laughs> and Matt Lauer does some pretty good acting in this episode. you got to give it to him. Yeah. He is very funny in it. And finally, Kimmy, who I should mention is played by Ellie Kemper, the great comedian and actress that was also in The Office and, and many other movies. She never really thought about that question. And she kind of freezes on air. And then the Today Show moves on to the next segment. So they also mentioned on that show that one of the mole women would get a surprise makeover. And they don't actually explicitly say it or show it. But as they're exiting the station, you can see that Gretchen is the one that got made over all <laughs> yes. done up and completely different hair. And Probably a good choice there. They get a goodie bag as they're leaving and one of the people working there on staff those thank you victims thank you yes. just completely ridiculous <laughs> so leaving the nbc studios kimmy makes their driver stop their airport shuttle and she gets out impulsively deciding to start a new life in new york city where people will not always be viewing her as a victim that's something very important to her throughout the series Cindy, although concerned that Kimmy only has an 8th grade education, gives her some of her Mole Woman fun money because the pop there is $5. That was a hilarious line. <laughs> and true. <laughs> Very true, yeah. And she also gives Kimmy a small wrapped present, it finally admitting that she was her secret Santa. 
So Gretchen, kind of feeling betrayed at this point, angrily closes the van door as Donna shouts adios and they drive away, <laughs> leaving Kimmy to fend for herself on the streets of New York. And then we get from here a montage of Kimmy's exploration of New York. Yes, um, in, in which she's doing extremely childish things. Now, if you think <laughs> about this, at the time of her abduction, she was 14. Now, I can see her being somewhat childish but like buying light up shoes when i was 14 this was not something that i did as a 14 year old girl i think maybe they play that up just a little too much for it to be realistic even though it's a show but well well also you gotta think that she's in an extreme case of arrested development right now she's typically she's really a 14 year old let's put it that way she's been in the bunker for 15 years and to her it's it's 1999 2000. That really is evident as she goes on some of the later episodes and she experiences newer technology. And uh, some of the lines are very funny, which we won't go into now. But so, you know, light up shoes were kind of the late 90s type of thing that she probably never was able to have in Indiana. These things are just, you know, probably uh, luxuries to her, whereas to the rest of society in the future, let's say, 2015. They're really nothing, nothing special. It's funny. It was a great gag too, because she's staring at like the Chanel dresses in the window of Saks Fifth Avenue, and so she goes in, and you expect her to come out with a new wardrobe, but no, wearing exactly the same bright yellow jacket, you know, hot pink pants, and yeah. bright sparkling pink and purple sneakers, embroidered with butterflies and rainbows <laughs> and sparkles. Like a fourteen-year-old. I don't know about you guys, but at this point, when she leaves that van, my first thought was. How long is it going to take her to lose all this money? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in her exploration of the city, Kimmy also runs alongside a random man that's jogging. And she's also fascinated by the automatic fixtures in a public bathroom, which is very funny. That, to me, was probably the most cringeworthy scene because I'm imagining somebody walking in on her doing this. <laughs> I, I hate public restrooms to begin with, so if I walked in there, I would just turn around and walk out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone would call the cops on her or something. Oh, man. And she also rides the subway gleefully holding on while the public around her remain disinterested. And there, <laughs> yeah. there was another funny moment where she went to a public playground and attempts to ride a swing all the way around the bars. And she does, but it's off camera to one young boy's amazement. Yes, very campy, very campy feel, this whole montage. Even even the show, the show is very campy. <laughs> well, it's very positive from her point of view. Yeah, and it definitely incorporates absurdist elements. There's certain things yeah. that happen in the show which you go, well, that's, that's just crazy. But that's part of the sensibility of the show, and that's kind of carried over from 30 Rock as well. 30 Rock was like Oh, definitely. I was going to mention that. 30 Rock it definitely has some absurdist type stuff in it, and it, it, very much the same vein. So another funny moment where Kimmy goes shopping at Dylan's Candy Bar, and it's a huge candy shop where she fills a, a bag with gumdrops and looks like gummy sharks, and uh, excitedly telling herself, I'm having candy for dinner. You're really doing everything that she's always wanted to do in her life, all in one day, it seems. So then she takes her bag of candy and takes a stroll through Central Park, and she sees, as Sean mentioned, a horse attached to a handsome cab, and Sets it free, just lets it run away. <laughs> Kimmy being held captive for all those years, she definitely has sympathy and empathy for those that are also uh, in a similar state. She really has empathy, I'd say, for everyone. I, I mean, especially people that she feels are trapped, but 
for everyone in general, I would say. This is a good-hearted person. Yes. So now Kimmy finally realizes that she needs a place to stay, so she checks out local apartment listings. And while she's reading, she notices a young boy in a school uniform steal a Snickers bar from a newsstand. And she runs after him, taking the candy back and asking him where his adult is. And he yells, Stranger Danger, and runs away. I'm not Stranger Danger, I'm a Stranger Danger Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> so later, Kimmy tracks down one of the advertised apartments and meets a woman named Lillian at the stoop. Here played by Carol Kane, who is best known as playing Simka on the show Taxi. She was the wife of Andy Kaufman's Latka character. Very, very funny. Just to add, too, there is a... um. A scene that was, I'm looking at the script right now, edited out or, or on the cutting room floor in this episode, where it talks more about Kimmy's experiences trying to find an apartment. And it actually has a scene here where she goes, where the sun is actually setting. I also had this thought as I was watching this, is what's Kimmy going to do when the sun goes down in New York City? Yeah. Hotel room or, or what? And this scene, as it mentions in the script here, this first draft, or an early draft, is that the sun is now setting, Kimmy approaches information desk of a library, and she's asking where she could find a list of places to live in New York, a reference, or periodicals. And basically the librarian points to the computers, and she says, you know, look online, and Kimmy has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> and, you know, the librarian basically says, well, maybe try Craigslist, Google, uh, New York roommates, you know, look online. And Kimmy pretends that she knows what she's talking about and says, oh, yeah, gurgle. Yeah, sure, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, and then it skips to the scene we're about to talk to in a, a second um, where she finds her apartment. But I think uh, that would have been an interesting little scene to throw in there where she is confronted with, you know, Google really wasn't around in the year 2000. Craigslist definitely wasn't. Uh, online access wasn't really as relevant as it is now, definitely. Yeah. So she... This would be her situation where she had no idea what the librarian is, is talking about. Yeah, and just to speak to your thought about things being cut out, I, I think we should also mention that this was a series that was meant for NBC. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they, they passed on it and sold the series to Netflix. Actually, two seasons of it. So there will be a, mm -hmm. a second season. Yeah, it's already been confirmed that there will be a second season of this show. But we do not have a date as of now. No. So the, if you go through on your Netflix here and look at the different episodes, you'll notice that the, maybe the first six or seven, I believe, were already filmed, and they were going to be slated to appear on NBC. And so they were cut, for the most part, to be aired on television. And so that could have been a scene that was left on the cutting room floor, as you mentioned, but probably for time, as most of these things are very funny. But once they realize that this is going to go straight to Netflix... In fact, Ellie Kemper in her interview on The Best Show with Tom Sharpling mentioned that uh, they had the luxury of being able to put back all of those jokes that would be cut, you know, to make room for advertising. So back at the stoop of the apartment, Lillian is shocked that there's actually someone there for the roommate ad and not just to buy <laughs> drugs. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing that she is the character in this named after me. I'm going to say she's named after me. And just to talk about this actress, Carol Kane, as Scott mentioned, very, very talented actress. Been in a lot of different things throughout her career. As Scott mentioned, she was in Taxi. But she was also in a lot of movies that you might not know about. She was also in Cheers for an episode. The Princess Bride. That's she plays, where she plays I know a role. her from. <laughs> There's a great movie, well, a movie I saw when I was a kid called Scrooged. Oh, yeah. It's based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It stars Bill Murray, one of my favorite actors. 
And she plays the ghost of Christmas past in this very, very funny performance. Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, man. My Blue Heaven. Great movies starring some great people. Very, very talented actress. Very funny actress. So Lillian takes Kimmy down to the basement apartment. And she, I liked how she referred to it as a garden-level masonette. <laughs> Pretty accurate. So Lillian rings the call box while explaining to Kimmy that her roommate will be a man named Titus who is here played by Titus Burgess, a very, very talented singer and actor, who played a, a small role in a couple of episodes of 30 Rock, and he was in at least three Broadway shows. Lillian explains that he's crusty on the outside, but with a soft heart, like a wonderful French role. <laughs> she does explain also something very important to his character, that he's an isolated yet talented person. So we learn that Titus had no idea that an ad was even placed for him to have a roommate but he does owe back rent, and Lillian just didn't have the heart to evict him. And Titus immediately, you see, he's very skeptical of Kimmy. She has no previous address, nor any job to speak of. Finally, everybody agrees that if Kimmy can find a job, she can live with Titus. And I, I love his full his full character's name. Oh yeah, Titus Andromedon. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Kimmy knows exactly where she wants to work. She goes right back to Dylan's candy bar, where she begins to ask an employee about job openings. But she gets distracted when she sees the same young boy, this is Buckley, that she spotted stealing at the newsstand, and he's uh, attempting to pocket some candy or something at the store. So Kimmy immediately charges at him, chasing him out of the store and onto the street. So this is a moment we can take to just acknowledge the beauty of Ellie Kemper's over-exaggerated facial expressions throughout <laughs> the entirety of this series. Very true, yes. yeah. They are absolutely perfect, and just the way that the camera zooms in on... They could not have cast a more perfect actress for this role. Yes, in fact, I had read that when Tina Fey wrote this, she had Ellie Kemper in mind. And you could definitely yeah. see it plays certainly to her strengths. Yeah, so I was very skeptical when they add her as a cast member on The Office. When a recent interview I heard from The Best Show, actually, she was supposed to actually have a very small role in The Office, basically an episode arc when Pam wasn't there as the receptionist. But then when they, they liked the performance so much, her role has expanded, and she became a regular for basically the entire run of the rest of the series. So Kimmy brings Buckley back to his home. It's a very nice, gated home in a wealthy part of town, and... She's invited in by Buckley's mother, Jacqueline Voorhees. Same last name as Jason. I was going to mention that, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that was the first thing I thought of. Jason Voorhees from uh, the Friday the 13th movie series as the main uh, villain. Here she's played by Jane Krakowski, a very funny actress who, if you've watched 30 Rock, you know her very well. And you know that Tina Fey has extensive experience working with her. So she was a, a shoe-in for this role. I'd also like to point out that the portrait behind her in the doorway, I, I guess is supposed to be a painting of her husband, but later in the series you do actually meet her husband, who looks nothing like the painting, so I don't know if they cast the husband after this, or just couldn't find a painting of him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, we do see, I guess, later on that there are portraits in the house of other people from the family, from the Voorhees family line, so who knows. Oh, so that could be what it is. But yeah, that was, that was a funny moment with the painting, because Kimmy's invited in by Jacqueline after Jacqueline refuses to go outside because she had a facial peel. Kimmy thinks that that means her reverend won't let her out and that he peeled her face. And Kimmy's very, very <laughs> concerned. Again, this is another moment where she has that, that empathy for those that she feels are held captive. And she asks if, if she needs help, and she thinks that portrait might be 
a portrait of her reverend. <laughs> and Jacqueline in tears tells her, yes, she does need help. And so that's how Kimmy is allowed entry into the Voorhees household. So Jacqueline agrees to have Kimmy work for her. And I, I guess it's more of an assistant than a, a caretaker for Buckley because she kind of does a little bit of everything. Yeah. She's going to work for $17 an hour under the table. Which Kimmy has no idea what that really means. <laughs> yeah, she she later says under the tables. Yes. <laughs> under the tables. And one thing about this character, Jacqueline Voorhees, I mean, I'm not going to bring it out because it's a spoiler for another episode, but her background is extremely funny. And that's one of the major points of the this first series that made me crack up <laughs> when you really find out where she came from. Very, very funny. It's I think it's in episode two or three, somewhere around there. Yeah, not a major spoiler, because you will get to it very soon. Yeah, and all of her um, problems and obsessions, which are very apparent in this episode, but she does offer Kimmy a water out of her refrigerator, which is just rows of Fiji water, <laughs> and then proceeds to throw it away when Kimmy says, no, I'm fine, Yes, which is hilarious. <laughs> but later in the series... That refrigerator actually changes. The first row stays Fiji water, but the second row is filled with the same shape bottles, but a label that says diet water. Yes, which... diet water. <laughs> so Kimmy's introduced to Charles, who is Buckley's tutor, or at least that's what they're calling him. He basically just does his homework for him. And Charles is happy that he finally has a normal person around that he can talk to, or at least he thinks at this point there's a normal person. Oh, and then we get uh, Kimmy's famous what in the ham sandwich phrase, which is absolutely wonderful, and I will be using it in my everyday life from now on. <laughs> so we cut back to the apartment, and we see that Lillian had dragged some of Titus's doll furniture to the curb to help pay for some of his rent, and Lillian tells him that tomorrow the real movers are coming in to evict him. Kimmy returns with the news that she finally got a job, and she offers to pay the rent in advance with her mole woman money, which she refers to as her tax refund. She really doesn't want to reveal anything about her background or her past to them. Even though earlier she said she has no pay stubs or anything. Pay stubs. <laughs> no <proof>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's as even Titus doesn't know what pay stubs are. <laughs> so seeing the backpack full of cash, Titus changes his tune and tells Lillian that he decided to take in a roommate. And Titus brings Kimmy into the apartment and shows her around. And, and Kimmy is very impressed. Of course, Kimmy's impressed by everything. And she spots a red and gold robot. It's really a robot suit. And it's sitting in Titus's room. And she asks if people have robots now. <laughs> Again, this is somebody that has to not only adjust from a, a rural Midwestern life to New York City life, but also from a pre-internet age to what to her must be the future, as Sean said. Well, Titus quickly changes the subject. He doesn't want to talk about it. And he tells her that she'll be staying in his office, which is essentially a closet with a flimsy accordion fold door. And Kimmy absolutely loves it. Yes, it is. It's like two Cindy's by a Gretchen, yes. is what she says. <laughs> very strange units of measurement they came up with in the bunker. And she says she'll and be it... very comfortable in there, too. Like, she loves it. Oh, yeah, she's ecstatic. And it was at this moment in time that Titus points out, is that everything you have, just your backpack and yourself? And I couldn't help but wonder about her outfit and if she was just, you know, going to wear it every single day. And then I thought, hey, where did she get that outfit in between escaping from the bunker and then going on this show? But, I mean, obviously she has to buy more clothes eventually. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, and we'll see a couple of uh, funny moments throughout the series where she has to maybe improvise some clothing, and it's done very humorously. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, as you mentioned, she, she has to unpack now. She takes a few items from her backpack and places them on the shelf, including her, her only two books. I believe she only has two books, and one of them being her uh, favorite Babysitter's Club book. <laughs> cracks me up. So I wanted to pose this question to you guys. Say you had to be stuck in a bunker for 15 years and you can only bring two books with you. Now, no copping out of it, so what I'll say is you can't bring any religious books, nor any handbooks that like survival books, <laughs> nor anything like Penny from Inspector Gadget's computerized book that does a million other functions. I'm just talking yeah. purely for your own entertainment and sanity. What two books would you bring? Okay, I've got it. So I would bring Feed by Mira Grant, which is an awesome science fiction novel about, you know, zombies and the apocalypse. And I, I thought it was an amazing read. So if you're ever out in a bookstore, definitely look for that book. It's by far the best book I've ever read. Wow. And I would bring my graphic novel of Deadpool, volume one of his uh, story arc. Wow, it's a very scary, dark literature for Lily in the bunker for 15 years. I'm afraid to see what you'd be like when you come out. <laughs> Sean, what about you? <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Do single-issue comic books count? Sure. Okay. Then, of course, I'll bring my Justice League of America number two <laughs> into the bunker with me. Not to read, but just to stare at the cover. Because nice. I don't read that book. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't bring my iPad, right? No, uh, come on. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> then my other choice would be the book Gone with the Winds by Margaret Mitchell. Wow. One of my favorites. That might be seem weird to people, but you know what? Don't judge me. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I thought long about this, too. I wasn't sure what I wanted to bring. You know, I, I love those Uncle John bathroom reader books because you can read those things for hours and you don't have to necessarily read them in order. I think I would have to bring the... X-Men Age of Apocalypse Omnibus. It's a huge, huge book, a compendium of all those Age of Apocalypse X-Men comics. So that would give me at least pictures to look at and a long story that I could probably reread and glean new things from every time. And probably a world almanac, just so I would have a whole bunch of facts. And at least when I got out of the bunker after 15 years, I could, you know, go on Jeopardy right away. <laughs> well, that's How about awesome. just robots in the future, though? How about things have changed? You won't be updated. Well, me versus Chappie, I think I could take him. No, <laughs> no comment there. Uh, you might want to avoid, just as a for your life hack for yourself, do not read the bathroom readers that are at my house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just what? advice for you. Thank you very much. Okay. They're not, they're not suitable for reading anywhere. So no licking your finger before turning pages. Oh, oh goodness, At no. Sean's house. No, okay, that, I got gotcha. you. No, please. And not because of me. It's it's my children. Uh, That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's really gross. And if any, <laughs> if any listeners want to mention the two books that they would bring on a journey of 15 years of isolation, send us an email at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. Or hey, send us a tweet at hittingplay. So anyway, Kimmy unpacks her, her books and Titus asks where the rest of her stuff is and she said that's it. So Titus being very suspicious still of Kimmy, he says you got a secret. And Kimmy reluctantly begins to tell him the truth, starting with, I'm from Indiana, and Titus immediately cuts her off, saying, Oh, okay, that explains why you're so basic. Say no more. 
<laughs> and so he tells Kimmy that the two of them, keep that in mind, the two of them owe Lillian two months back rent, so they need to pay up $950. So she peels a bunch of 50s from her stack of bills, and Titus continues, uh, plus this upcoming month. So Kimmy gives him more. So Titus keeps going, saying, and of course there's a one-month security deposit. So Kimmy again pays him. Then Titus goes on claiming that his desk lamp stopped working ever since she moved in, trying to squeeze an extra $100 out of her. And Kimmy replies, nice try, Titus, there's no light bulb in there. And, he, and Titus <laughs> says, you got me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's just so innocent through the whole thing. It's it's refreshing and sickening at the same time. Yes. <laughs> but a very likable character. Oh, yes, Definitely. So the two decide to go out dancing to celebrate Kimmy's new job, and they go to a nightclub, and Kimmy's dancing like a maniac. <laughs> it's very oh funny. God. Dancing is all about butts now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the, the perfect line in the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is unfortunately true. <laughs> <laughs> so she encounters some shady characters in this nightclub, including two girls that ask if she's into Molly. And Kimmy replies that she's her favorite American girl doll. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, Kimmy starts to get a little self-conscious, and she takes her backpack off because of its baby-like appearance, and, and she puts it on the floor, but with her leg through one of the loops. Yeah, I was... Uh, what was she planning on doing? Was she still going to dance with it just hooked around her foot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She seemed to get enough positive attention with it on, I mean... What's the difference? Yeah, that's true. In fact, there's a guy that was buying Kimmy a drink, and she takes her first sip of alcohol, and she tries to keep a straight face as she drinks it, saying, alcohol tastes good, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Playing it very cool. So a few moments later with this guy, Kimmy's about to have her first kiss, when somebody runs off with her backpack, they pull it right out from under her, and she falls forward and trips her to the floor, and Kimmy panics, pushing the guy that was, she was just about to kiss into a table... And then when security comes up to, to see what's going on, she punches the guy right in the face. <laughs> At this point, I was like, oh, watching it just completely and totally. <laughs> yeah, very, very strong, very uh, strong-willed young woman. Yes. What happened? <laughs> oh uh, and so she is kicked out of the club, and she finds her purple Jansport backpack on the ground in front of her, and of course, with all her remaining cash gone. Oh, and... The uh, horse runs by the frame. Yes. As, <laughs> as, she's as she walks into the night, there's that Central Park horse still on the loose. I hope it keeps on reappearing through the entire series. <laughs> that would be funny. That would shows be up brilliant. once in a while, walks, by, walks across the screen. <laughs> so here we get an act break. And why don't we take this opportunity to take a break of our own, and we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. You have car questions. Yeah, I'm trying to get to work, but my battery's dead. What do I do? He has car answers. You're going to find yourself 500 9-volt batteries and a roll of duct tape. It's Car Carl. All right, I'm going to get that stuff right now. Thanks, Car Carl. Hey, get this, Car Carl. I was on the highway, right? I hit the brakes. All four tires shoot off in all four different directions. Well, what do I do? I'm, I'm stranded right here. Oh, you go find them, dummy. All of my radio buttons are jammed with peanut butter. Hey, honey, my wife checking into the Car Carl Radio Show. Join in and ask Car Carl your car repair question. Yeah, I got into my car, but everything was facing the wrong way. Do you know why that would happen? Uh, Mike, are you sitting in the car backwards? 
<laughs> you know what? <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> Thank you, Carl Carl. The Car Carl Car Repair Radio Show. Thank you, Carl Carl. Thank you, Carl Carl. Hey, thanks, Carl Carl. I couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, you're the best car repair show there is. Hey, this is Car Carl, and you're listening to the Car Carl Car Repair Radio Show. Tonight at 9, after toilet brushing and the whiz. And we're back. All right, so at this point in the show, we see it's the next morning, and Kimmy arrives late to the Voorhees house and apologizes to Jacqueline, explaining that she was up all night because her money was stolen, and she hasn't had a clock since she had a Tamagotchi. (laughs) And Jacqueline fires her, calling this strike three. To which she responds, what were strikes one and two? Has baseball changed? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I wanted to ask you, Lily, I had a Tamagotchi. When uh, when I was, I don't know, 13 or 14, have you ever seen a Tamagotchi? Oh, yeah, I had one. Did you? Yeah, I did. I believe it was when I was really little. I believe my parents got it for me for Christmas when I was like six. But um, I was long dead bright. by then. <laughs> <laughs> it was bright turquoise, and um, that that's all I remember about it. I don't remember ever interacting with it. I probably didn't even know what it was. <laughs> that's that thing that was kind of like a sim, right? Where you had to feed it and yeah. do stuff with it or it would die. Yeah, okay. It was a little egg with a very rudimentary screen and three buttons. And I think what you yeah. could play a very basic game with it maybe, but you could feed it and you have to clean up its droppings. <laughs> that sounds like children. <laughs> yes. And they talk back to you, so... <laughs> So Kimmy walks home, and she goes to her room and struggles with her window blinds in frustration. Titus wakes up from the commotion, and she explains that her backpack was stolen and admits to him that she is one of the famed Indiana Mole women. And really the first, he keeps his secret pretty well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's her confidant now is, is Titus, which is an ongoing theme, of course, throughout the series. Yeah. He's very much on her side. I mean, very fascinated by the story, too, which he kind of has to rein back sometimes, but very eager to, to hear many details. Yeah, and, and sometimes he can't he can't control himself. <laughs> <laughs> so Titus tells her to pack her things and, and to go home, that New York City is just not a place for her. And he goes on to tell her that his real name is Ronald Wilkerson, and he came to New York on a bus in 1998 from Chickasaw County, Mississippi. And he changed his name to Titus Andromedon and auditioned for The Lion King. However, his dreams didn't pan out, and he ended up auditioning 20 times in 15 years until they told him that he's not passing as a straight giraffe. (laughs) Oh, I didn't catch that point for some reason. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, the jokes in this show are just so fast. They're rapid fire. It's very difficult to catch them all. So a message to our listeners, please, this show is definitely one you want to watch more than once, just to really fully saturate yourself with all of the jokes that are written into it. Yes. Very much like an Arrested Development, where it rewards repeated viewings. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because you'll catch all sorts of little details every time you watch it. Sometimes, even if you chuckle briefly, you'll miss the next line. I I watched this episode for the show. It was my third time already, and I was still picking up jokes that I had missed the previous two times. Titus also goes on to admit to Kimmy here that he hasn't sung in public in three years, and now he just makes a living by wearing that robot costume in Times Square and passing out flyers for an arcade, and he mentions that his boss is 17 years old and he gets paid in quarters, (laughs) and tells her that escaping is not the same as making it. That line is also in the script. Very, uh, 
Very crucial moment in the uh, episode. And then he asks her how much was stolen from the backpack, and Kimmy tells him, $13,000. To which he responds with a musical no, 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 why <laughs> to the tune of No Way I'm Living Without You um, <laughs> by Jennifer, or I guess it wasn't written by Jennifer Hudson, but from the uh, the movie she's in with Jamie Foxx, Dreamgirls, yep. is that what it yep. is? Yes. <laughs> So yeah, he he sing cries as Lily brought out, and then he offers to give her her rent money back. He pulls it out of the freezer where he was stashing it away. The freezer. So I wanted to ask you guys yeah. if if you if there's an ultimate place you could ever think of to stash, uh, I don't know, a secret stash of money, the most ridiculous place you could think of. Where is it? Well, I don't think the freezer is so ridiculous. I know people have done that <laughs> in the past. No, it's really not. I've heard about it as well. Yeah. It's a, uh, a, of course, it's it's cold, but it's a fireproof environment. See, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I mean... it's a good place to store things. I mean, that can be stored without becoming damaged at, from it being frozen. It's like one of those safes you have where it's fireproof and you don't have to worry about it being lost forever, most likely. And I hide my money in the mailbox because it's a double felony if it gets stolen. <laughs> going for the, yeah, going for the, the law part of it, yeah. <laughs> See, um, I've always wanted to just put pull a Talladega Nights and put it in a cereal box and tape it to the bottom of my car. <laughs> <laughs> See, I hide my money in a very unique place. I hide it in the bank. <laughs> and it just stays there and I don't have to worry about it. Good idea. Yep. So, yeah, Titus then tells her that she should get a bus ticket and leave. And even if that means he'll also be evicted. So Titus realizes this is probably the end of her dream and he'll probably have to move on with something himself. So that's what she does. And we cut to the outside of the bus terminal and Kimmy waits in line to board a bus with her belongings in a plastic bag. And she realizes that her bottle of strawberry milk opened in the bag, soaking all of her items. So she walks over to the garbage receptacle to go through the bag and inside, she sees the secret Santa present from Cindy that she never opened. I forgot all about this at this point. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me as well. And Kimmy unwraps it to find a very inaccurate cross-stitched map of the world. It's pretty, <laughs> very funny. London is all of Europe. China is misspelled, <laughs> but and it's all of Asia. Canada is spelled Canada. <laughs> oh, man. I think Chip really talks about Cindy's... Uh, character as we see her in future episodes too what kind of person she is and her lack of education also yes but the word someday was at the bottom as well so kimmy sadly tosses it into the garbage and looks down and she sees a rat amongst the trash so then we get a flashback to the bunker and the four women are sitting and listening to the reverend the reverend says that he was talking to god about why he allowed all of his creation to be destroyed and he asked the girls if they know why and gretchen eagerly raises her hand answering that it was because they're all dumb and bad. So she seems to be like the teacher's pet, the the eager student. Was this either of you in grade school or growing up in school? No. I guess I guess what was, <laughs> No. <laughs> you know how there's like s classroom stereotypes, you know, like the class clown or uh, the kid who sleeps all the time or the teacher's pet. I was more like the kid who got straight C's and tried to be by himself most of the time. I always did very well in school, I, but I always sat up front. I wasn't a teacher's pet, but I was, I was the kid that raised my hand to answer the questions. Yeah, I'd say I'm probably in about the same boat. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> 
So Kimmy speaks up and asks the Reverend, the whole world was destroyed and everything died, right? And Reverend Richard replies, except for all you dum-dums here, yes. <laughs> and that's a theme too here, the Reverend really hammering it into them that they are dumb. They're very dumb people. And that's something that they're going to have to struggle with in their lives and really fight to break through. So Kimmy goes on to explain that while she was clearing out the air filter earlier, she found a rat. And she holds it up at arm's length for them all to see. And the Reverend, angered by this, tells her, I will break you! Kimmy replies, no you won't. So Kimmy is definitely the, the rebel of the group. Yes. And thus the show wins its name, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So we cut back to the bus terminal, and Kimmy, now drawing from that inner strength, smiles, picks the map up out of the garbage, and goes back to find Titus. And we cut to Times Square where Titus, now dressed as his robot character, he tries to pass flyers to disinterested passers-by. And Kimmy finds him, takes off his helmet, and tells him that she's not going back to Indiana. She tells him that she's not going to give up, and neither is he. So she also says that she's going to get her job back, they're going to pay the rent, she's going to kiss a boy, and he's going to sing at the Grammys with Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Like, oh yeah, I died. <laughs> he replies, bad examples, but yes. Then I believe the show ends with Kimmy singing absolute nonsense and Titus singing the circle of life. Yes. <laughs> I believe she says Macarena at one point. She does, or... yes. yes yeah. <laughs> Late 90s reference. So the, the camera slowly backs up and we see that really nobody's paying attention to them as they continue to sing and their voices are partially getting drowned out by the sounds of police cars and jackhammers, but it doesn't matter to them. And they happily finish the song, and we cut to the closing credits. Very nice. Now, as I said before to you guys, I, I watched this now. This is my third time watching it. I, I love this show. What do you guys think? When I watched the first episode, I wasn't completely on board because of the nature of the sense of humor. Just how completely absurd and a little like cringeworthy it was for me. Only until I watched the episodes after that could I absolutely not stop and got so involved with the story and really started to appreciate the humor I absolutely fell in love with it yeah I agree with Lily I think that the episode the pilot episode was was very good it had a lot of redeeming qualities I think the show really takes off after this episode where you see more of the 30 rock type influence and definitely Tina Fey's writing influence and the in jokes and that sort of thing and the special guests they have on the show but yeah, very good pilot show. It gets you interested in it. Makes you want to come back and watch it again. So I don't think they really did anything wrong. Introduced the characters, got most of the backstories, threw a little mystery in there of what she's going to do with her life going on in New York City. So we have a good introduction pilot episode. Very solid. So if you're on the fence about this, just give it give it another one or two episodes, and I swear you'll be hooked. Yeah, You'll definitely. be sad that there's only 13 episodes. Yeah, they fly and by. I, and I don't know why Netflix, so I, I know why Netflix does this, but I kind of wish that Netflix wouldn't do this because people binge on it, and then you have to wait another how many weeks <laughs> or months until they come out with season two. Yeah. kind of wish that they would have the same schedule as traditional in, in air quotes I'm doing right now, TV, where they would put out an episode every few days or every week. But that's the prerogative. That's the way they like to do it. I appreciate Probably just it. easier to do it all at once. Yeah, I, yeah, I like them all yeah. at once, personally. Another home run, really, for Netflix and their ongoing battle, I guess you could say, to steal some more ratings from the traditional networks. 
coming out with tons of, of series now, original series. I checked that the other day on, on Netflix. On, yeah, um, isn't BoJack Horseman an original series? Yes. House of Cards, which is huge. People oh, yeah. say it's a great series. and I mean, just all sorts of stuff that's branded with Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. They see the value in it. They see people like it. They're watching Netflix anyway for the non-original Netflix programming, so might as well try to get the, the audience. And, and it's very, very smart move on their part. Meanwhile, oh, traditional yeah. networks are rebooting X-Files. They're rebooting Coach. They're going back to the drawing board when the new media like Netflix and Hulu uh, and even Amazon Prime are just going forward ahead with uh, putting up the money and, and putting out some really great shows. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's was... the age of streaming, the age of video streaming. Yeah, and something that the networks are going to have to adjust to in the next five, ten years. People don't aren't going to have the patience anymore to wait a week to watch an episode or not Especially be able to watch it. Especially with it cut up by ads. <laughs> yeah, and people, you know, will will pay for as we can see with Netflix, they'll pay for the the privilege of being able to watch something when they want to watch it on their schedule and not be tied yeah. down to a you know a, a Tuesday at nine o'clock yeah. to watch something. Have it save your place, recommend other related shows. Have captions <laughs> built in, you know, and, and have it on multiple devices. Be able to watch it on your iPad or whatever and oh, be able yeah. to stop and start wherever you ended off on your TV. You know, it's not to give a, a promotion here for Netflix because they are not a sponsor of anything. But, but if they want to. But they should but be. if they'd like <laughs> to, we would be happy to talk more about this. We also mentioned iPads. And, uh, yes, Apple, hey, please. Hey. <laughs> or as Kimmy calls the Apple iPhone, what'd she call it in the episode? This is a Macintosh. A Macintosh. A Macintosh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a very yes. very funny show that everybody should should watch, and and has gotten some real critical acclaim. Oh yeah, I believe on Rotten Tomatoes it was rated a ninety six percent. Wow. Um, and they quote saying. Blessed with originality and a spot-on performance from Ellie Kemper, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is as odd as it is hilarious. And just incredible rave reviews out of the 44 professional ratings that it got on Rotten Tomatoes. Only two of them were rotten. Yeah, and also I see one reference point I look at a lot is the AV Club from The Onion. And they gave it an A-, which is you know really high praise for them. Yeah, definitely a winner. You dropped the ball, NBC. Yet again. Yeah, yet again. <laughs> I'm surprised, actually, that they NBC dropped the ball, as you can say, because they have such a strong relationship with Tina Fey and all these really characters from 30 Rock, a huge show for them. So you think they would just give it a chance. They weren't thinking that way, I guess. too controversial for them? I don't That's know. what I was thinking. It's such a, a sensitive subject, and it, you know, especially when you can draw some parallels to some real-life horrible scenarios. I could see where maybe they were a little hesitant to, to pick this up. That's the only thing I could think of, because comedically, I mean, they knock it right out of the park, just like they had in the past. Very true. Yeah. And one other thing, too. I love the, the names of these episodes. Yes. The way they're, the naming conventions are. Like, this episode is not called The Pilot. It's called Kimmy Goes Outside. Exclamation point. every episode point. is Kimmy does something. Kimmy does this. Kimmy does With that. With an exclamation yes. point. Very yes, important. Yes. Yep. <laughs> well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. Just wanted to also mention, uh, as we referred to before, that Ellie Kemper did an interview on The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. So you guys can listen to that if you haven't already. That's at thebestshow.net. You can subscribe to them on iTunes and 
that is available as a podcast. So listen to that. She also gives some insights into the the making of this series and uh, how it came to be. So very, very interesting listen. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, a show we should review, something to read in our bunker, whatever you got at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Does anybody have anything they want to plug? Oh, yeah. If you enjoy video games, you can check out my YouTube channel, Lilliputian22. Now that I have all my ducks in a row after coming back from a foreign country and being sick, I'm going to try and commit to posting two videos per week. You um, better. I'm been... <laughs> I know, I've been slacking. Man. And my Twitter is the same handle, Lilliputian22. Follow me for any comic book-related tweets slash video game-related tweets, I suppose. But that would do it for me, as far as plugs. Yeah, and I have some plugs today, too, actually. First, I'd like to give, uh, actually, kind of a correction, more than a plug, I would say. A thank you to my sister-in-law, Sarah, who mentioned to me, because they listened to Brother and Sister-in-Law, the Arrow episode from last week. The thing that Oliver works out on, where he jumps up with the bar... Oh, yeah. ...is actually called a salmon ladder, believe it or not. Huh. And she brought that to my attention. Yep, that that's a sa- salmon ladder, and I said, okay, yeah, she knows about that, apparently. And she, they very much like the show, so a, a nice little shout-out to my uh, my brother Dan and my sister-in-law Sarah, who are now listeners of the show. Also, my niece and nephew, Ginger and Bon Jovi, who are their dogs. Okay. <laughs> I was about Ooh, to thank say. Goodness. <laughs> I give a shout-out to them. They have an Instagram page. And I'm not sure what it is. I can look it up real quick here. Bon underscore Ginger is their Instagram page. Please please watch them. It's a very interesting Instagram page. Bon underscore Ginger. Show their antics every day. And I love you guys very much. And, of course, my mom. I love you, Mom. And I think that's about it. I'm on Twitter at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also... MC and Friends on Vine, and there I do some comedic flip page animation. You can check me out there as well. Well, we have been Lily, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Good night, everyone.